Welcome back to the FKT Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Anderson. Today, we're chatting with four incredible women who all set records on the Colorado Trail within weeks of one another. Join me as I talk to Claire Banwatt, Tara Dower, Nina Bridges, and Melinda McCaw about their experiences on this classic route. Thank all of you for joining us today. I am really excited to have so many women on the show. The Colorado Trail was incredibly busy for a few weeks this year. And all of you kind of chose like slightly different variations of what you did out there. And so the first thing I'd like to do is have you talk about why you chose the direction that you did, as well as why you picked the modality, like self-supported, supported that you did. And so Melinda, why don't you go first? Sure. I kind of have a history with the Colorado Trail over the last few years. Started out mountain biking it with my husband and then starting to work towards, hey, I want to run the wilderness sections. And then back in 2020, we actually both ran it in 18 days. We did the Collegiate West, but we started in Denver. And so I kind of really wanted to know what it was like to start in Durango. I figured it, it just seemed like it would be a lot harder and more challenging. So the reason I chose the route I did was just because I hadn't seen the route in that direction and really wanted to challenge myself and see how hard I could push myself. So and as far as modality, I didn't really think about trying to do it unsupported. I I kind of felt like the supported route was going to be challenging enough, especially for my first FKT. So that's why I chose supported. And Claire, how about you? Yeah, actually, I was near Durango because I went to America for hard rock. And I chose uh, self-supported uh, because I was alone. <laughs> when you do this kind of adventure, I and you, you want to go from point A to point B by foot, I don't see the interest of having someone with a car following you. I mean, it makes just no, it makes no sense for me. I had started the trail unsupported because I just thought like might be a fun way to just hike from Denver Durango and like was the easiest to plan because you don't have to plan anything being unsupported. And I just like, I had gotten some time off work. So I had a little week off to like pack some stuff and do it. But then I ended up like having some friends come and stay with me and I started unsupported and my backpack ripped and I was like, this is going to be so much like, this is my like vacation from my work. And so I called up my friends and they were still hanging around in Leadville. And so I was like, it'll just be way more fun to like get to just hang out for a week while doing this and like get to, I don't know, like it'd be way, like if I quit supported, it'd be way more fun. Cause I would have just been able to hang out with people for however long time versus quitting unsupported would just be hard and like less fun maybe. So I ended up calling them up like 27 miles in and they were like, just go support. It'll be, it'll be way better. And so they went to my house and packed my stuff and then we started the next day, restarted supported. So I just thought it'd be more fun to go supported, like, and just to get to hang out with people and do it. And they were all stoked and off work. So you have to have the right kind of friends for them to agree that that sounds like fun. (laughs) (laughs) And could you tell us which route you chose? I chose Denver to Durango Collegiate East. I live in Leadville, so it was pretty easy to get down to Denver. I don't know. It just made, it just, made sense going that way and did collegiate east because that's like to me like just the 
route that the CT follows, not the CDT, um, but the roof. I don't know. I just chose Denver to Durango because of that. Right. And Tara, I want you to answer this question too, but I also want you to talk about your very unorthodox approach to start a supported FKT and um, also address kind of how you pivoted from one to the other. Yeah. So my friend Liz and I were about a year ago decided we really wanted to do the Colorado Trail. And she was like, do you want to do it in a new style that you're not used to? Because she's done it in a self-supported style before, but I haven't. I've always done a supported effort. So she's like, do you want to try the Colorado Trail self-supported record? And I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And so we planned for it. We're both from the East Coast. So was, and like just realizing like it's a lot different here in Colorado than it is on the East Coast. But we, we started self-supported and... Liz actually, we started out as a team and Liz actually got injured and well, not injured. She, she experienced some fatigue and just some weird symptoms. We're still not sure what happened. She's not sure what happened, but she had to get off trail around mile. Oh, I, I think it was day three. I don't know what mile it was or no day four. And so at that point, since it was self-supported going into it and she was with me and she left, I still wanted to continue. But since she was with me for those first four days, it was considered to be emotional support since she was with me. So I had to continue in a supported manner, even if that meant she would be with me for the rest of the trail or if I continued on in a self-supported manner, but without support. Luckily, Liz was able to conjure up a, a crew out of no where, including Melinda, who's in this call. And she conjured up this crew. And luckily by, I think it was day six, we had like a solid crew and I was just like moving at that point. So with that, we started, me and my friend Liz started self-supported going east to west. We used Collegiate East and chose that direction because it just seemed like everyone who's done records on the Colorado Trail, a lot of people Excellent. have done records on the and Colorado so Trail and they've gone that, supported that record or way. So we were just like, well, we kind of want to just do like that, the classic. You broke it and it had been around for like nine years. Or the classic. And then it what? was, I think it was 21 oh, years. Oh, so it was really old record. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Bel- so Betsy Kelmeyer. You broke this like said it. really old yeah. record. And then what was it two weeks later, Nina, that you broke Tara's record? Yeah. So obviously you were planning to start out unsupported. And then when you decided to do supported, like how did, how did Tara's FKT affect your FKT? Like, or did it affect your FKT? Well, this was like my first big thing of any sorts. First time, like, like I think seven of the eight days were my like seven biggest days I had ever walked. And, uh, so I just didn't like think I was fast enough to go supported. Like I've, I've always thought of supported efforts as things that people who run go for. And so I was like, Oh, if I go unsupported, I can like, just do like a really like a slower record. And maybe that's like what I'll be able to do. And then when I ran into Josh, Josh was like, if you're going to go for unsupported, you have to like go hard. So he kind of actually motivated me to go a little harder And then I think once we decided to do it supported, I think because I had no plan originally, maybe Tara's record didn't change the plan because there was no plan to begin with. If that makes sense. One of the few times we're not having a plan actually worked out well. (laughs) Like it wasn't like I had 
miles that I wanted to do in the days or like I had a goal in mind already. It was like, okay, well, I guess that's what we're trying to go for. And Josh was kind of in, in charge of how far I walked roughly, or he just kind of just determined how far I walked. Right. So you just went until he said it was okay for you to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> the first two days and the third day I, I put my foot down. I was, I was throwing up and I was like, I'm not walking. And I sat on the ground in front of him. Um, if you don't have a two-year-old moment, you're not setting an FKT. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I had a little more, say, well, a little more say, but it, it, he was really helpful in like helping figure out how to do a supported record. And he had all the road crossings listed already. So I was, I had like no idea what I was, because unsupported, you don't have to plan anything. So I didn't really know where any of the stops were. Mm-hmm. So I was just walking and, and they figured out everything else. Probably similar to Tara, your attempt. It's like the crew kind of just figured everything out. I mean, I think that's the ideal. I mean, that's why you want a crew. So you don't actually have to think about anything. You just go forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was fun. It was like, I think I wouldn't have done well with a planned out goals or planned out like how far I wanted to go each day just because I wasn't sure if I could even do this. And so even like doing the first day was, I was like rolling the dice, I felt like. So it was nice to just like be able to walk how far I walked. And then, you know, every day, like I I couldn't ever not meet my goal because there was no goal. That's such a lot for success. (laughs) I like that. I like that. So Claire, I'm kind of curious when I was reading your trip report on the site, you were talking about like how heavy your pack was. And I'm curious, have you done a lot of backpacking before or was this like a all new type of experience for you? Uh, It was actually my first time doing that kind of thing. So I didn't pack the right kind of food. I think it was really too heavy because it was ready to, to eat food. I think my pack was like the pack of unsupported record. It was really, really, but, uh, but after one or two days, it was better. Uh, after I ate uh, some kind of bit of the food, but no, no, it was actually my first time doing this kind of and sleeping outside. I mean, I have done a lot of uh, very long races, but it was my first time. I was really alone and uh, just myself and my backpack. <laughs> well, that's a way to just go all in. <laughs> you just did 500 miles, I, set an FKT. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was. It was my first time in, in America, and I, I wanted to do something huge and not just go for doing an hundred, an hundred miler. Uh, I mean, hard rock is is a good reason to go to to the States, but I I really wanted to do something more than just a race. And it was just perfect. The Colorado Trail was just perfect. That's amazing. And you did Tahoe 200. Uh, Yeah. And and I was looking into you. You're a badass. Oh, crazy. (laughs) Yeah, you've had a very busy uh, summer, Claire. You did Tahoe and then you did this FKT and UTMB and... Probably some other things I don't know about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> are, are you going to Are you going to rest a little bit now? Uh, no, not, <laughs> not until uh, December. Okay. All right. Well, we'll look forward to following what you have coming up next. Did you enjoy this backpacking self supported experience? Do you think you'll do something like that again? Oh yeah, definitely. I. I mean, it was the hardest thing I have ever done, but it was. It was so such an, a great adventure, and it was 
so much fun, even if it's not that much fun, but you know what I mean. I mean, it's you are so proud of yourself when you do that. And also you, you spend nine days outside in the nature, just thinking about just going one meter, of, you know, just thinking about going forward and not caring about work or trouble. So it's, no, it's really, it gave me a lot of uh, new ideas. <laughs> and there is a lot, uh, also a lot of uh, FKT I want to do in Europe. And I didn't, I, I, I wasn't confident enough to some FKTs in Europe. And now I I am quite confident. I mean, the Colorado Trail is quite hard. Some thunderstorms, the elevations, the altitude. And now I'm definitely sure I can try some FKT in Europe. I will be, I should be fine. I'm sure you will be. <laughs> Melinda, I would love it if you could tell us a little bit about your, I'm not sure if it was a fundraiser or the organization that you were doing this FKT for. Sure. So back in 2020, my husband and I, as I mentioned earlier, we ran the whole trail in 18 days. We kind of just were like, well, we're going to run it anyways. Why not make it about more than ourselves? And so we decided to turn it into a fundraiser back then. And one thing led to another that turned into a nonprofit called Elevate Kids. It's based here in Grand Junction, Colorado. And what we do is we raise funds to help kids in our community that otherwise don't get the help they need. There's a backpack program that supplies food for kids every Friday that otherwise depend on school for their food. And so they've been a big part of what we've been funding. So our first fundraiser was the trail run in 2020. We've since added a fun run every spring. We've held it two years in a row now. I think we've raised close to $65,000 so far. And so after that 2020 run, I came back. We both came back and it was like this switch had been flipped in, in our brains. And we were both like, well, how much further, how much harder can we push ourselves? Could we do an FKT? What would that be like? So that's kind of where the idea came for the FKT. And then I just turned it into another fundraiser. So... Obviously, I wanted to go for the record, but I was also wanting to raise money to help kids here in our valley. That's awesome. So now I kind of want to hear a little bit about some of the the strategies and logistics and things like that and the experiences you, you guys had out there. The first being the sleep strategy or lack thereof uh, and possibly like what sort of um, sleep deprivation experiences you may have had, because I feel like no matter what, when you're doing an FKT this long, there's going to be some aspect of that. <laughs> so Nina, do you want to start us off? Yeah. So since I'd never like done any sort of sleep deprived thing, we decided like I should just get a lot of sleep. I like don't, I don't like walk the fast. I didn't run really any of the trail. I walked the whole thing. And Josh was really adamant that I got four and a half hours the first like three nights. So like the first few nights I got four and a half hours and then it kind of got like four hours, 20 minutes and kind of like cut it down to like, I think the lowest night of sleep, I got like three hours. So I actually like, slept a lot on this thing in comparison. I think I slept like 30 hours in total, which from reading some other reports is on the way high end. <laughs> and I think we just decided like, I'll sleep as much as I can. 
And then to minimize like moving slower or breaks during the day. So I barely took any breaks during the day and kind of just moved at a consistent pace all day. I think one thing that I didn't experience any sort of like weird brain things from sleep deprivation, I, I kept thinking I would. And I'm always just like really sleepy. Like, you know, it's just like that intense feeling to lie down that probably you all probably felt at one point, like you just, just walking and like, Oh my gosh, I just want to lie down. (laughs) And I think I live at like, since I live here at 10,000 feet, I think I was able to like, like I'm used to sleeping at altitude and I've been up here for the past few months and like spent at least 30 days this summer over 11.5 or like 12,000 feet. And so I think I slept a lot, like, because I could actually recover during my sleep at night. And so it was worth getting the sleep. And it wasn't until like the second to last day that I got a really bad night of sleep and I woke up feeling really tired. And then the last day I was just like wanting to lie down every like five minutes and like, you know, like taking those little two minute naps on the side of the chair, like just like (laughs) the really silly ones. But yeah, I guess that was my sleep strategy was sleep a ton in the beginning and then start cutting sleep and just hope that by the, I don't get tired by the end. I don't know if like you all have experience with this, but I had nerves the week leading up to it. And so I was getting like four hours of sleep every night leading up to it. (laughs) And I, I was frustrated by that because I was trying to like bank sleep, but I was like not sleeping at all beforehand. Um, so yeah, I went for a lot of sleep, no breaks during the day. Tara, how about you? What was your sleep strategy like? Yeah, Nina, I agree with you on like the week leading up. I got like, so like, I remember like the night before, maybe like two hours the night before that, maybe like three. It was terrible. I was so frustrated with myself. I was like, go to sleep, dang it. But yeah, and then Melinda actually timed some of those silly naps that you're talking about. So we're we're very aware. I'm very appreciative of Melinda for that morning. But yeah, as far as my, as far as my sleep schedule goes, it was really whatever we felt like we needed. Me and Liz, when we were together, started out where we were like, okay, whatever we need, whatever we feel like we need, and we wouldn't go over like four felt like a lot. So we tried to keep it like between four and three. So whatever we felt like we needed, we would take that time and sleep for whatever, you know, we needed. And then there was kind of like three hour minimum, two and a half, some nights, I think, but it was pretty much three hours throughout every single night. And that was just enough time that I felt like I needed once I changed the supported to rest my legs and have enough energy the next day to start. And the last night, I think I slept two hours and then I started, well, it wasn't the night, it was like 10 PM. And then I slept two hours. No, I started at 11. So I must've fell asleep somewhere, you know, before that, like 10, eight, I don't remember, but I only got two hours the last night, bunny ears here. Uh, So yeah, there wasn't a lot of strategy, but it was more just like feeling. And then as far as like other strategy goes, since me and Liz were both from the East Coast, we had to, Nina talked about living at altitude. We had to come out, I came out maybe a week and a half. I think it was like two week and a half before the attempt. And that was enough time to acclimate personally for me. And that was kind of another strategy that I deployed. 
Melinda, can you tell us about your sleep experience or lack thereof? Yeah, so I ended up pacing Tara a few weeks before mine, and that kind of was like a wake-up call, like, oh my goodness, I'm not going to get any sleep. But all along in the planning stages, we were kind of trying to go for four to five hours of sleep a night. That didn't quite really happen. Um, Maybe the first night and maybe the night that we overslept our alarm. But (laughs) other than that, it it just kept like ratcheting down and my my support team kept changing it. So they'd be like, oh, well, you only get two hours tonight or you only get three tonight. So I was a little disappointed when that happened, but (laughs) I figured they knew what they were doing. So I was just going to follow their lead. So I probably got like an average of two and a half to three and a half the first half of the trip. And then when it came to like the last four days, it really dropped dramatically from there where it, it kind of felt like we just went nonstop almost for four days with like an hour or maybe two hours each of those days. And then when we got to Kenosha Pass, we had 70 miles to go. So we took a like almost two hour nap and then just took off like 3.15 in the morning for the last 70 miles and didn't really get any blocks of sleep after that other than dirt naps. Um, So I'm sure my husband got tired of me begging for dirt naps. (laughs) But that last, they're glorious. I love dirt naps. And that last night we were just kind of stumbling down the trail and we were going down that, that really steep hill that you would have climbed up from Goody's Bridge And it's just so slick and steep. And we started taking naps because we felt like we weren't safe because it was just so steep downhill and we were going to trip our, (laughs) we didn't really want to go over the edge. So we took more naps in that section than anywhere. Once daylight, the rest of the day, I was fine. Dirt naps are wonderful. I am a big fan. I've never experienced being able to fall asleep that quickly and be dreaming. That's the thing I love about it. It's like you're just asleep instantly and you and you wake up after 20 minutes. And you're like, I had a great dream. Like and you feel completely refreshed. I'm like, I wish I could do this every day of my life. So Claire, I read your report and I had to read your line about sleep three times to make sure I was reading it right. Can you tell us about your sleep? Or, well, I should say what little sleep there was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the plan was to not sleep the first night. And then I wanted to sleep at least three three hours to four hours per day. But it was so cold that I couldn't I couldn't sleep more than two hours. I think the, the first three days I, I slept one hour, one hour thirty, one hour thirty, but I would wake up because of the cold, completely frozen. So I had to, I had to keep moving. So I ended up, yeah, sleeping less than expected. And when I, I think it was at day four, or day five, when I finally go a bit lower in altitude, then I could have my first three hour night and then I tried to sleep three hours every night until the end and as I wanted really 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 to to finish I didn't sleep at all the, the last night but yeah I think I ended up just doing 13 or 14 hours during nine days which is really really low at, at some point I was just high 
I was like under cocaine, you know, I was really not feeling pain anymore, not really, I, I wasn't hallucinating, but I wasn't feeling like I, I was in a dream and that uh, nothing was real. So it was kind of, I mean, I, when I think about it, it, it's scary, but at the time I, I, it was just funny. <laughs> I mean, the, not having pain was really great because I, I had huge blisters and it was really cool to just not, not feel my feet anymore. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, uh, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I'm happy not being injured of not have fallen somewhere or... <laughs> Because I I really was mm-hmm. so sleep deprived that I, I had really no idea of reality and uh, yeah it's kind of scary. Yeah, I've been there. It is very scary, but also fun. I I understand that aspect too. <laughs> Did you have issues navigating? Like, because I know like when I'm in that state, like you might just like walk past a trail junction and not even notice it or think about it. Like, did you have any issues because of the sleep, like staying on on track? No, no, it was fine. I had the watch and I could follow the, the GPS track to be to be sure to be to be on track. But it was also well marked. But the, the watch helped a lot. I mean, at some point I was just following well my my watch. I was a zombie following a watch. Right, right. Crazy. Yeah, that is quite the sleep strategy. <laughs> Taking notes for the next time I get blisters yeah just don't sleep and you won't yeah exactly i'm like banking that i'm like okay next time i have blisters i'm just not going to sleep until i can't feel them (laughs) (laughs) so the colorado trail is kind of notorious for its weather issues like the cold that we just talked about but also things like thunderstorms and so i'm kind of wondering if the weather provided any sort of complications or issues with your fkts claire do you want to go first Yes, the cold. I couldn't sleep because of it. Yeah. And then I, I was very lucky because my first four days were completely perfect. So the weather was was fine. Uh, blue sky, uh, really great weather. And then I had thunderstorm every day until the end. So it wasn't complicated, but it's something you have to know when you are doing the when you want to do the Colorado Trail. That uh, yes, thunderstorm, you you will need a good waterproof jacket, everything that goes with it. Melinda, how about you? I had actually really good weather most of the time. Day one, I was up on those ridges above Kennebec Pass, and I descended down into the trees, and that was the first major rain that I had the sky just opened up and it was like I was under a faucet, but that only lasted for like two to three hours and there was no, no chance of keeping my feet dry. So I just started stomping through the puddles at that point, but it, the sun came out about three hours later and dried up. And then the only other time I had any bad weather really was day three. I think it was, we had rain for like about an hour coming down into Spring Creek Pass. Other than that, it was great weather. The morning that we climbed from Monarch Pass, though, up on that ridge before you drop over, it was super windy. It was windy enough that I almost got blown off the trail. So it was windy and cold there. But other than that, I had great weather, aside from the heat once you get closer to Denver. Nina, what about you? I got, like, the first night, it rained for, like, an hour, And I got really cold and Ben had to run up the trail with emergency sweatpants because my, we forgot to bring nighttime layers just because we're still figuring it out. 
And then it didn't rain for like, or maybe, no, actually it rained the next day too, but like not really, not rain that makes you wet. You know, it was like, you know, like wet rain, like you were saying, like the sky opened up just like a faucet. It was like, just kind of ran casual rain the first two days. And, and then it was really sunny all the way up until San Luis Pass. And it kind of on and off rained that morning, but it was just more like sprinkling from my recollection. And there was no light, lightning and thunder, luckily. And then that night it rained a little bit, um, but at the, it wasn't ever rain that was like, you was really cold. It was just kind of like sprinkling. And then this, the second to last day, it poured. It was like the section, only section I did by myself. And I had also packed my snacks by myself and I like leave at like four in the morning and it hadn't rained all night. And I, I leave and maybe five minutes in, it just starts downpouring, like just, just torrential downpour. I reach into my running vest. I like have like four snacks for the next like 24 miles, like four, like, like one chocolate was one of the snacks I packed. Like it was so bad. And I'm like wearing my fleece, my puffy, my rain jacket, my like leggings, my rain pants, my puffy mittens, just like trudging through the San Juans. And I just put my headphones in so I wouldn't hear any thunder because I was like, I don't really know what I'm going to do. Like I got to keep walking. <laughs> I don't know. It's wherever that passes before you drop to like the Animus river where the train tracks are. That probably was a really steep uphill going up it, but like, you know, there's just nothing around. There's like not a tree in sight for like miles. You're like walking on a plateau for mm -hmm. miles. And I just, it was, I was moving so slow because I was so soaking wet. And, and then the next, the next day was one of those also rained a lot, I think. No, but it, it never really, I thought we were going to have to deal with more thunder and lightning, but the trail, like, it's like, you're not on at 14,000 feet. You're not, you're never the highest point. And so even when we, I think maybe I took a lot more of a liberal approach to seeing dark, scary clouds than I do when I'm like doing stuff on ridges or peaks. I was kind of always hoping like there's something taller around me. Like I'm never the tallest point except for that one little section. And just hoping that, you know, Josh, Ben and Zane are all a little bit taller than me. <laughs> they, <they'll come. laughs> no, I've heard of picking partners that are slower than you in case of a bear, but you know, taller than you in case of lightning, like that's pretty next level. <laughs> but yeah. Like the, the last, then the last day it, there was, there was one day in the San Juans where it was one of those things where it felt like it was raining everywhere, but where we were. And there was like a double rainbow and it was just so magical. And then the last day it like downpoured the last into last 10 miles. And, but at that point you can just get wet cause it's almost done. Yeah. So there was no regard for keeping any of my like puffy or anything dry the last day. Tara, how about you? Yeah. So weather was all over the place for me. The first six days it was really, really hot from 11 to four. It was extremely hot and I felt like I wasn't hydrating enough or I was overhydrating. I couldn't figure that out. So I was just perpetually just warm through that period of time. And I didn't really expect that for the Colorado trail. And then after that is when I started getting a crew. So that was nice. But then that's when like thunderstorms start popping up and I just have so much anxiety about thunderstorms in Colorado. I've just heard the worst stories 
then day six is when the thunderstorm scares started to happen. And uh, I remember I was, well, first one happened with Melinda. It was just a little rumble. It wasn't that bad. But then that I was hiking with Michael. He was carrying all my stuff. He was a trooper, but he, there was a thunderstorm coming and it was pretty exposed. And I just started sprinting down the trail. Cause I thought like, we need to get over this pass really fast. And I ended up hurting myself because I sprinted. I got tripping and I injured my hip and my arm. And Michael was like, at one point he was just like, I think you need to calm down. And I think we need to walk. And so I was like, I think you're right. I'm going to injure myself. <laughs> and then the last day, well, yeah. And then me and Michael, the next day got into a really, really bad storm. That was actually like warranting like concern. <laughs> and we descended from, I think, Nina, you mentioned it. I, it was before Molas, but descending that pass before you go up, um, you know, that long, long downhill. But before that, we were on that, you know, ridge and there was nothing around us and just like the sky opened up and like God just felt like he was angry at us. It was like going to get smited right there. And again, I started sprinting, but at that point I was like, you know, I was so anxious. I just left Michael and he caught up to me down the mountain, but it was terrifying. And then the last day me and Liz were really worried. We were going to get caught in a really bad storm before the last pass. And you're like, Oh, if we get, if we get caught in that, then, you know, that might be we might not get the record because what if we have to wait and it just hailed and then the storm passed. So I would say like the last last three days, there was like the storm concerns. And then the first, you know, six was just the heat was just sweltering. I, too, am very afraid of Colorado thunderstorms and probably irrationally run when I don't need to. <laughs> so I think we have time for one last question and we'll start with you, Nina. I'd like to know your highest high and your lowest low. Lowest low was probably right at the end. I, the night before the last day, I threw up all my dinner at like eight o'clock and then couldn't really eat anything before bed and then ended up like sleeping way longer than I thought that day. Cause I just, or that night, cause I felt so awful. Like I wanted to only sleep an hour and ended up sleeping like four hours the last night. Cause I just couldn't wake up. And woke up that morning, ate, threw up everything again at like 6am was just, I, it kind of felt like my body had just like said no, like every other day I was just like able to walk and it was pretty fine. And that last day, like felt like my body had said no. And that I had to like push myself and like just walk myself to the end. And so I felt like I was just like battling want just feeling slow and like wanting to stop and struggling eating and feeling really sleepy. And like Ben was being very gracious, but also like pushing me along. And I was just like, I was struggling with everything. And like, I was like eating like one picho an hour, like I was barely eating. And I finally thought I was having a comeback at like noon. And I ate a burrito and a smoothie and a banana. Like Zane had packed in all sorts of goodies for the last 20 miles and was feeling better, drank a coffee. And I really felt like the last section of trail looked like Northern Washington on the PCT. Not Northern Washington, the section of Washington, like near White's Pass, I believe. 
And so I felt like I was in Washington as I was like walking the big downhill and I finally thought I was feeling better. And then I started feeling really sick again and threw up everything again at like three o'clock with like 13 miles to go. So at this point I had like no food in me for the last like 20 hours. And I like looked at Zane and I was like, if I pass out and someone asked me where I am and I say Washington, it's not because I'm not with it. It's because I really think I'm in Washington, but I like remember thinking in that moment, like, oh shoot, like this could, I might not make it. Like I might have to like hold hands with Zane and like walk next to him the last 10 miles. But yeah, it was just, I just felt like my body had said it was, it was just done and it was ready to finish. And it was a really big, like mental challenge to get myself the last like 13 miles off of like no food basically. And what was your highest high? Highest high, I would say through the San Juans, I'll make this one shorter. It was like walking through the San Juans and there was double rainbow and it was like golden hour. And it was just like the sun shining over everything. And you're like seeing the steep, like the, like the Chicago basin and all the like sunlight and wind those ones in the, the distance and they're super steep, but you're just on these like planes and, and it was just gorgeous. And then, and, and I was, I was walking with my friend Ben and we were like listening to music and just like, it was just so enjoyable. And then we went to, and took a little bivy nap at like nine 30 and then woke up at midnight to do the last six miles. And it was Ben's 21st birthday. Um, and, and it was just felt so silly to be like walking from like midnight to two 30, just like through the San Juans listening to music, like not a person in sight. <laughs> we like stopped and took a break like because it was just like, it was just really enjoyable and like got to Josh at Stony Pass at like two 30 with him being like, where have you guys been? And so while it was a really hard night, it was like a really silly night. Like what the heck are we doing out here? Melinda, how about you? Lowest low, probably been day five, the evening of day four, like I had been running really strong that day. In the last six miles, my left knee really started to hurt really, really bad. And I basically had to limp into the support van that night. But that next day, I was just no energy at all. My knee was really excruciatingly painful. And I really didn't want to go out on the trail. And I'd have to say that was my lowest day. I, I think I was walking like one mile an hour. It, I only made it like 18 miles that day. It took me like 15 hours or something crazy like that. And so just feeling that like, wow, that was terrible. I am now behind schedule and really tired and everything hurts. I would have to say that was the lowest low. And that, that knee pain kept coming and going the rest of the trip. So that was, that was annoying to me because I just kept feeling like I was falling further and further behind and wasn't keeping up with my goal. And yeah, so I was struggling with that, but that day was probably the hardest, but the highest high was actually the day before on day th or two days before day three, it was like three 30 in the morning. We had left Stony pass like an hour before. And I'd actually, I was, Michael was pacing me at that point. And we were in a section where the trail was really smooth. So I was like, just really having a great time running. And I 
kind of dropped him and I'm going along on the trail and all of a sudden this huge fireball meteor just like came right in front of my, it, wow. it felt like it was right in my face. I know it wasn't like that close, but literally this just huge fireball with a tail right in front of me and down over the hill that I was going up. It was the coolest thing I've ever seen. It kind of startled me. And then Michael, when he got back to town, I told him about it because he hadn't seen it. And he texted me later. He's like, I did some research. It's a real thing. There were sightings of it. Like <laughs> you saw a meteor. You weren't hallucinating. <laughs> I wasn't hallucinating. It was so that was the coolest, coolest part, highest part on the trip. Tara, how about you? Yeah, so I would say the hardest point, I mean, it was multiple points, but like my feet really bothered me throughout this attempt. I had toenails, um, like my two big toenails have already come off by now, but what was happening is they were loose. And so I had shoes, my feet were swelling, my shoes were too small or becoming too small because my feet were swelling, but my loose toenail, I'm sure you guys have experienced this, but loose toenail, every time, you know, I hit my toe on the front of the shoe, it was digging deeper and deeper, deeper into my toenail bed and it was getting infected and it was weirdly white around and like, um, like squirting stuff and whatnot. So it wasn't like great. And every time I hit my toe or hit my foot on like a, sh on a rock, it was just so painful. I would just get so upset and just being so angry that I was doing that to myself, that I was letting my feet, you know, drag like that and hitting these rocks. And that was pretty low. It was, it was throughout the attempt, I think day two is when I really, when we left Breckenridge is when I realized like, oh, my toes like don't look great right now. And it hurts really bad. But then, you know, you try to, you guys probably know, you just try to like, let that leave that thought, leave your mind and you just keep going. Um, but every time I hit my toe, it just was, it made me remember like, oh yeah, my toes are really bad. <laughs> they look really bad in my, my shoes. Um, but on that, I would say the highest high again, multiple moments was every time that I was able to see that crew, I would come into like after day five, day six, even seeing Liz, I would come into these areas, you know, I'm going self-support. I didn't expect this, this, this group of people to come together, this community to come together and support this effort. Uh, that's why I say it's like a community FKT. Like I was doing the walking, but the community came together and it was just beautiful. And it was like these people just came out of the woodwork and it was like so heartwarming and it's gonna make me cry but like you know I met Melinda out there and we experienced a lot out there and Michael I had just met him like 10 minutes before we went on this 50 mile section of like chaos together and he really saw a lot <laughs> but like you know Christine she took care of my feet thank goodness for her. She would take off those socks and just rip into those feet and try to help them. You know, Liz is just such a good friend and just so thankful for her. And my friend Reese came out as well. And just so many people came out and the community came together. So I'd say every time I went, I got to a road crossing and saw this community and this crew. I was like, oh, my heart, it feels so great. So yeah, highs and lows. That's awesome. Yeah. When your feet aren't happy, it's really hard to be happy out there. Claire, how about you? Highest high and lowest low? Lowest low was in last night. It was 
completely sleepwalking. I wasn't really thinking clearly. I thought I was lost. My watch, I, I said I, 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 I followed the track on my watch, but uh, last night my watch just completely died. So I, I was really, really, really bad this, this last night. I completely lost track of everything. <laughs> and I just, I, I, I stopped, I did a small nap. Then I took some time to get to my phone, finding my right position. I thought I was completely lost, completely off Colorado Trail. And I could check with my phone that I was indeed on the trail, that uh, everything was fine. But I think I had the blank for for a few hours where I don't remember at all what I did. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it was really, 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 the last night was really bad. And I, I think I could have ended up not finishing uh, the, the, the trail because of that. And also I had no food at all. I think I I, I, I ate everything. I, I had really uh, a lot of difficulty to manage the, the food, enfin, my food stock. And I charged, I, I refilled, I, I resupplied at, so there was basically 250 kilometers left, something like that. So I, 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 I take food for, for three days. But I was so hungry that I ended up eating all my food in two days. So I spent the last care without food. So now it was really, really, really a bad night because I was a complete zombie without food. <laughs> and I knew... Yeah, a hungry zombie. Angry, an angry zombie, <laughs> exactly. And I knew it was still very long to the finish and without food. <laughs> so, yeah, now it was definitely the, the lowest low I had. And the highest hike was... For the same reason, I spent some time without food, I think... 20 hours or 15 hours, something like that, without food. And when I arrived at Mount Priston Hot Spring, it was like I went into the shop and I just took everything. <laughs> I think I spent $200 on food and I had the best <laughs> the best uh, slice of, slices of pizza of my life. But really the best slices of pizza of my life. And it was also the first time I could have some signal with my phone. So I could phone my husband and it was definitely the, my highest high was really me quitting the shop with a lot of food, talking to my uh, husband with my phone and eating a slice of pizza at the same time uh, and going up, uh, running up the, the, the next uh, uphill. Now it was definitely a, a good time. <laughs> yeah. Good food and connecting with the ones we love. Yeah. I think those are two of the most important things in life. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been really fabulous chatting to all of you. I appreciate you sharing your stories. Thanks again, Nina, Claire, Melinda, and Tara for coming on the show. You can read about their FKTs on the website, fastestknowntime.com, and follow their adventures on Instagram. Melinda can be found at help elevate kids. Tara can be found at tara.dower. Claire can be found at Claire Bonwatt. Nina can be found at gingers101. 
I also want to give a special thank you to John G for supporting the FKT podcast. John G makes trail running essentials designed to go further. Perfect for your next FKT. And beyond making super durable trail running apparel that's backed by a five-year run everywhere guarantee, they also donate 2% of sales to clean water programs in the places we run. So far, John G has donated $1 million to clean water and counting. Take advantage of a 10% off coupon at johng.com with code FKT. FKT.